Okay. So we are back at the cracks in post-modernity with Destiny and Letitia, who are activists extraordinaire, very incredible people. <laughs> um, so before we goof around a little bit, we're going to be serious. We're going to talk about their backgrounds, how they got into the kind of work they're doing. So Letitia, tell us about you. Tell us your whole life story and why <laughs> are you passionate about what you're passionate about? But like in five minutes. Yeah. Whole life do story. Yeah, but like Don't waste our time. Exactly. <laughs> I um well, I'm Letitia Ochoa Adams and I grew up in rural Texas and um my mom was the babysitter for all the rich kids in town. And so my life kind of just was this really weird space where I kind of lived in two worlds. Like I was this poor little Mexican girl that hung out with the richest people in small Texas town, which is, um, those are the people like they're, they're the ones to know. Um, and, and I had no idea that I was a poor little Mexican girl. I, I thought I was one of them until I turned 13 and it was made very clear that I was not. Um, and so through that experience, I kind of was, I kind of lived like dual cultural, if that makes sense. So, you know, I, with my family, we were Tejano, we listened to music in Spanish. And then with my, you know, moms, the kids that my mom took care of, I was, you know, on ranches and um, in nice houses and, you know, living the good life as the help child. And I just thought I was a friend. Um, and then when I was a kid, I was sexually abused by a man that we lived with. Um, so that formed me a lot um, trauma-wise. And so I kind of spent my teenage years living in reaction to that trauma. I got pregnant when I was 16. Um, so there's just a lot going on. Like I always had this weird identity crisis. I didn't know where I fit in. I didn't know who I was. And, and I kind of spent a lot of time looking to try to figure that out. The one thing that centered me was um, my first boyfriend, Stacy Adams, who I fell in love with and now is my husband. Um, I always felt like, I don't know, if he married me, then everything would be fine. Joke's on me because he married me in 2010 and everything got worse. But um, so anyway, I, I, I moved from rural Texas to the city and I moved into a black neighborhood, went to a black high school um, was adopted by the black community who saw me as, you know, lost and kind of racist and had a bunch of problems. And so these black grandmothers just took me in, fed me good food and taught me about, you know, Martin Luther King and the history of racism in this country. And so kind of opened my eyes to all of that stuff. So I've had, looking back now at the age of 44, I've had the blessed experience and I don't say that lightly hashtag blessed but I did I do feel very lucky to have had all of these experiences I grew up in rural Texas where I learned about community and caring for one another and then I um at a young age saw the impact of racism on the lives of people that I loved and took care of and they taught me how to have someone's back how to be loyal how not to talk about people behind their backs or you're gonna get you know confronted about it so I had all of these different experiences to where I don't ever feel 
have such a sense of justice, but I don't ever feel as if I have a team that I have to be on. Um, I can see things from an outside perspective rather than an inside team perspective. So that's really saved me from the right versus left kind of stuff or, or the Catholics versus Protestant kind of stuff. Like I don't, I don't necessarily have that vibe to me. Um, and so that has led me to my whole entire life has led me to have such a passion for trauma, for helping people heal from their trauma um, and to find God and kind of all of that without it being this cheesy, you can manifest your destiny kind of thing. Um, it's like life sucks and God knows that, you know? Um, and so I have a low tolerance for crap. Um, and, uh, a lot of grace for a lot of people because I've done just about everything you can do wrong. Um, and then my oldest son died by suicide in 2017. And so that really led me to a place of not really caring if I fit in with anyone or if I make money on speaking and writing, I really am just devoted to what is real, what is true, what is healing, what is good for us, what's good, true and beautiful. And that's really where my passion lies and everything. So I guess that's kind of the elevator speech on that. <laughs> mm. So that eventually gave way to Catholic speakers of color. So tell us a little bit about yeah. your project. Um, so that was kind of born from me being told over and over again from white event planners that they could not find Catholics of color for their events. And I knew that they were out there. And so I saw the problem and I know what the problem is. And I figured I would give them one less excuse to do what white Catholics do, which is ignore that there are voices of color in our church. Um, and so 2020 was a dumpster fire, but it brought me in contact with people like Gloria Purvis or Ansel Augustine. And, um, and a lot of other black Catholics who I admire and think need, they need more space to tell their stories. Like we're missing out on so many, so many stories. Um, and at the end of the day, that's what I really am good at is telling stories. And so through that, through talking to them, I realized I'm not crazy. Like this is an actual problem of, um, a willful, willful ignorance of the amount of Catholics of color in the speaking and writing world. And so I, um, it was supposed to just be a list. I was just going to come up with a list of names and numbers and emails and just email it to everybody I knew. And then um, in talking it over with a few people, someone said, why didn't you make a website? And I was like, I don't even have money to, you know, keep up my own freaking website <laughs> or the energy or whatever. And then um, someone volunteered to do it, to design it. And th then that's how it came about and it was born and it's beautiful and I love it. And I, I also think that there is such a temptation to say the word diversity and to, and to, for that to mean, um, people of color who all agree on this thing or all agree on that thing. So I wanted to make sure that it was actually diverse, not just 
uh, outwardly diverse, but inwardly diverse as well. So we have um, conservative Black Catholics, I have uh, progressive Black Catholics, and then there's Hispanics and Asians of, you know, I don't even know if they're left or right, because it doesn't really matter to me. I think everyone deserves a voice and space to be able to be themselves, and that's what I want mostly to do. Um, and specifically for Catholics of color, because we tend to not have those spaces anywhere, whether it's progressive or conservative, we tend to be put in boxes and um, tokenized for whoever wants to, you know, use us to push their agenda. And so I wanted one space where we could just be us. Yeah, and what I love about this story because um, I remember when I interviewed you like earlier in the year, you were saying that, you know, you had this, like you, you saw that there was something missing and you yeah. weren't satisfied with that. But then it's like, okay, but I'm busy. I'm tired. I don't have the time. I don't have the resources to do this. And it, it's just funny because most, most people who have some kind of mission, they're like, oh yes, I came up with this idea and I worked really hard. And then I accomplish it. And you're just like, I don't have time for this. Like, I'm, you know. So it was like. I didn't accomplish anything. I really no. didn't. God woke me up at three o'clock in the morning and was like, hey, what about a website? And I was like, no. And went back to sleep. And then, and then, like, then the next day, someone called me and was like, hey, how about a website? And I was like, you. So, yeah. I, that's, I don't. So when people congratulate me on that website, I always try to make it very clear to everybody. If I had anything to do with it, it would not be because I just didn't have any desire <laughs> or energy to do it. It was all God just opened the doors and was like, here, do this, do this, do that. And I mean, literally waking me up at three in the morning um, to tell me about it. Uh, so, yeah. It just like goes against all the inspirational kind of BS that we sell to kids like, oh, be passionate about your dream and chase after it and believe in yourself. And you're like, no, I don't believe I can do this. I don't want to do this. And then it happens. So I guess the message is don't yeah. believe in yourself. Don't try hard. And then you will happen through God's grace, I guess. Yeah. And, and I think that that's the reason why, I mean, it's, I think it's so crazy that, you know, you have me and Destiny on here because I think that that's the one thing that bonds Destiny and I is that both of us are like, not me, no thanks. <laughs> oh, yeah, I totally agree. I you think I've, I've told people that same thing. Like it's, it's because we share this supreme, we're supreme fuck ups. And so through that, it's yeah. like all these things keep happening. And we're like, why is anyone trusting us? Like we, we judge their judgment for like trusting us with anything, but those doors keep getting blown open. And you're like, well, I guess I'm going to keep, keep doing it. But it is, it's that reluctant leadership, which it's that thing where you don't do it because you want to do it. You do it because you can't not do it. And for some yeah. reason, that's actually, I think a better motivator and um, only fuck ups can do that. So I'm glad to be in this club yeah. with you, Letitia. I know, me too. And actually, it's so funny how Destiny and I, like, became friends. We knew each other through pro-life circles. And then there was this huge, like, drama with a uh, sonogram bill here in Texas one summer. And so Destiny and I are both there. And um, we're, like, standing in the capital of like the texas capital at some point in time and the elevator door opens 
and it's this guy standing there in this like white doctor's coat like drenched in blood with like oh. a fetus coming out of his stomach or something yeah. and me and destiny just were like tell us about this outfit <laughs> like pro-lifers just talking to this guy in the most messed up pro-choice costume ever but like both of us were so intrigued with this dude and um and then they had pizza so me and destiny are like eating pro-choice pizza and laughing so hard at how like ridiculous this entire scenario was like we're standing in the middle of this hurricane and we're just like this is so insane (laughs) how long ago everybody oh this would have been like 2013 2012 yeah it was yeah but everybody everybody is so weird on both sides and they all take themselves so freaking seriously and I think like the only pro-lifers that I hang with are the ones who just aren't aren't weirdos and it's like that's our (laughs) self-care is just be having the darkest sense of humor and calling out like just the ludicrousness of everybody everywhere it's both movements are so screwed up but it's fun to watch it's good people watching (laughs) before i asked it was people watching yeah exactly and then there's like this circle where they're like pro choices were going around in a circle chanting hell satan and then like the pro-lifers were like sitting in a corner just like in tears praying the rosary because like someone was saying the devil's name and we're me and destiny were like (laughs) What is this? <laughs> uh, you can't make this. Up. It's a great friendship no. origin story for sure. Oh, okay. So that's like, before... a selfie under the stairs. Yeah, well, I just anyway. remember us like hiding, hiding in the bowels of the Capitol because it was like everybody here is fucking crazy. And I and they're not my brand of crazy. I'm crazy too, but like I want my own brand of crazy where we're like smoking cigarettes in the corner and laughing at everybody and and I found that in Liddy so yeah yeah Mm. so uh, before I ask you to introduce yourself Destiny I'm just going to share my crazy pro-life rally story because I've only been to one I mean babies are great we love them but I honestly don't have much of a stomach for pro-life gatherings but there was one I had to be a chaperone on a field trip to. We were supposed to go to March for Life in DC, but there was a snowstorm. We see this recurring theme with storms now. Um, so we couldn't go to DC. So we ended up going to the Jersey March for Life in Trenton. And like I said to the kids there, I was like, look, again, we love babies, but I am not holding a sign with the fetus because that's, I mean, I'm just not going to do it. So when we get there, their pack, I forget what organization it was. I guess it was NJ Right to Life, but they're handing out the fetus posters. And I'm like, no, I don't want it. And the kids are like, come on, you have to hold it up. So the whole time I was just cracking jokes because these speakers, like, you know, not to be mean, but it was all just your stereotypical neocon Republican. It was like, yes, we must defend the right to life. And it was, there's just nothing imaginative or creative about it. So then the kids started being like, yeah, pro-choice, yeah. Oh, oops, wrong rally, I have to go. So we were just like goofing around. <laughs> I couldn't take much of it. But anyway, so Destiny, I found you, I'm trying to remember. I think it might've been on Instagram, New Wave Feminist came up 
And, you know, of course, at Cracks and Pomo, we love, uh, we love paradox. We have a real flair for things that don't make sense. So I see this purple hair woman who's like new wave feminist. I'm like, so they're pro-life. Not every day that you hear about these pro-life feminists, especially ones with such alternative style. So I was, you know, immediately drawn and like started telling everyone about it. Um, and now you're here. So tell us your story. How did you get into pro-life activism, whole life activism, I guess we should say, because yeah, it's, yeah, it's more than just right. that. So tell us, tell us your story. Yeah. So I think my story starts, uh, my mom got pregnant with me when she was 19 and she was in college and ended up having to move back home. And, um, you know, we suffered for a solid decade until she completed her degree and experienced poverty and all these other atrocities because uh, her fertility wasn't really accommodated. Like her getting pregnant was kind of, okay, I guess it's the end of your education. Shit's about to get really hard. And so I think from a very young age, I was both pro-life and a feminist because I had seen how we live in a patriarchy that is not designed for women. It was built by men for men. And in order to fit into it, you have to take on the the male normative form and you can't create life because that is something that immediately is a liability and excludes you uh from really achieving in society and then at the same time i had a mom who a lot of people would have said it would have been a responsible choice for her to have an abortion and she didn't because she recognized my humanity so for me those two things really go hand in hand and like i said kind of a, a difficult childhood and then when i was 16 like letitia i ended up pregnant and it was so weird because I had always kind of felt kindred to the, the unborn child, but now I was the woman and that shit's real. Like you want to rip your womb off your body and run away from it. Like it's terrifying. Uh, but I had family support and at no point was I like, I wonder what Ted Cruz fucking thinks of this. It was always like, okay, can I have, do I have health insurance? Do I have a roof over my head and food in my mouth and clothes on my back? And so that definitely formed kind of um, my version of even my pro-life advocacy is no matter what the laws are, it's, it's not just an issue of cutting off supply. We have to address demand. Why is it that women feel they need abortion in the first place? Uh, and it's because of this patriarchal system that so many of us are trapped in that doesn't accommodate female fertility. And so um, experiencing that and being on both sides of it, I think kind of gave me a unique perspective, but I also care about other stuff, which I hope most pro-lifers care about other stuff. Like, yes, we love the <laughs> child in the womb and they are definitely the most vulnerable and marginalized uh, of, of any subset of the human family, but racial justice is an issue. We need to be talking about things like anti-racism, the infant and maternal mortality rate among women of color. Like that's an issue that Planned Parenthood uses all the time to actually scare women into abortions and tell them they can't have their children. But why aren't we addressing the fact that we need adequate health care and we need to be talking about, um, you know, racial competency and stuff in hospitals? Like there's just, there's this huge gap. And um, we also work a lot with the migrant population down at the border where a lot of pro-lifers because it's our movement has become so political politicized and so far right they don't want to touch that issue but there's pregnant women down there and guess what even if they're not pregnant there's freaking vulnerable people down there that we should care about and so i think that's kind of our message is is a consistent life ethic that human beings should be free from violence from womb to tomb and whoever is standing in front of you that's who you serve and you find a way and not through throwing money at politicians and laws, but actually like, what do you need? What can I do for you? 
Um, and I just rushed through all that because I want to tell you guys my worst rally story, yes, uh, which I think is, is just much hear. more important than, than any of my activism. Um, so I'm like 23 years old. I've just started New Wave Feminist and I am surrounded by all Catholics. And at the time I was Protestant. I'm agnostic these days, but um, I didn't realize that being surrounded by all these Catholics, like, first of all, they'd be trying to convert me a lot. But second, they like, I, I was, I was kind of this prize in that way um, that like, yeah, we can get her. And also because I wasn't Catholic, they gave me, they, they were holding this big rally and they wanted me to chair it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what a place of honor. I'm not even Catholic. This is really exciting. So the whole premise behind this protest was it was Susan G. Komen. Uh, so it was cancer cure type uh, run, right? And because, the, so that means something different here in Dallas because Susan G. Komen's sister-in-law was Nancy Brinker. She's actually the one who bought the abortion facility here because there were always protesters outside of it. The landlords were about to kick them out. And so she came in and she's like, let me just buy you this whole building. And so it's very, very intertwined with abortion. Um, but to the average person, they have no clue about this. So basically they said, will you go be the, the <laughs> spokesperson for this? Now I realize it's because I wasn't Catholic. So like they wouldn't get any of the blowback of the shit storm that was gonna hit from me protesting yeah. a cancer run, a cancer run, that's what we were doing. And like, at first they all had signs that, you know, Planned Parenthood steals souls and things like that. And I'm like, nobody's gonna make this connection. And even though I'm agnostic, I will say like, I believe in a higher power. And I had one of these higher power moments. I'm like driving down the freeway, listening to like death metal or something. I don't even know what I was doing, but I was not in a headset where I'm like thinking about any of my activism. And I just felt this, this kind of thing inside me. That's like, we need to have a sign that says your heart's in the right place, but your money isn't. And we need to get them to understand why we're protesting them. And I'm like, oh, that's fucking brilliant. Yeah, we're going to do that. And so we go out to this rally we're holding up our signs. We are pissing off nine, like 99.9% .9 of every single person that goes past us. It's like my sister died of breast cancer assholes. And to this day, I yeah. am absolutely horrified that I participated in this, but the Catholic community was actually super pumped because we made it on the news because of course we did. So we're being giant dickheads in front of the whole <laughs> Metroplex. And they were like, this was such a win for us. Um, worst, worst thing I've ever participated in uh, so far. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the pro-life community can outdo that and we can, you know, I don't know, protest soldiers' funerals next or something. I don't know what, what else we could do to top it, but <laughs> we'll probably find a way. Oh my God. <laughs> so you guys are very unconventional, outside-of-the-box activists, because it's not every day that you hear about people who are feminists in favor of the rights, equal dignity of women, um, you know, pro-life, anti-racist. It's like these party lines are so clearly set up that like, if you're for this, you can't be for that. You must stay within yeah. these boundaries. So like, why are you guys, why do you feel so free to step out of this, the party lines and to like value all the nuances when so many people are afraid to do that? I personally don't feel free to do it. I feel compelled to do it. Mm -hmm. Like if I, there's so many days when I see pro-lifers who make $12,000 a speaking gig because they conform to a party line to the point that they're insane. And I envy their ability to do that. 
and pull in thousands and thousands of dollars for their household. Like I envy that um, lack of a moral compass. <laughs> it makes me sad. Like sometimes I literally, I actually tell God, why, why did you make me this way? Cause I just feel compelled to not do it. Like I, it, it's ridiculous to me. Like I see people I, I see people who end up looking so ridiculous. It's like a Saturday Night Live sketch. Like like me just telling you about this, you know, protest in Austin that was just so extreme where you have one side um, chanting for the devil and the other ch- side is like literally bawling in tears on their knees praying the rosary. And it's so extreme that who's, who's being helped here? what children are being fed, what mothers are being told they have what it takes to mother their children. What, what is, oh, the best part was when, remember Destiny when they rolled Cecil Richards out on the podium in the middle of the rotunda <laughs> to give her speech. And I'm just like, watch, it looks like the shittiest movie on Lifetime you've ever seen. And I, but it's real life, you know, it's so ridiculous. And but that's I the thing when, when you can't. see when you see activists who are like straight out of central casting to like play the pro-lifer like get your get your grim reaper <laughs> costume on throw some ketchup on a baby doll and like just be fucking crazy and then you see these people in real life and you're like holy shit like I thought I yeah I thought these were parodies but no you guys are really bonkers no, and so to some degree just being half normal like it, it it keeps you from being able to conform I think to that type of that type of mentality yeah. but there's also this element of it where it's like I don't know for me at least like feminism is rooted in rebellion so the fact that when yeah. we came out as pro-life feminists and we're participating in the women's march and they're like you can't do that and I'm like well Rosie the fucking riveter said I can do whatever I want to do right like it becomes this thing where it almost makes us like super feminist like we level up just by kind of sticking to these these different beliefs but the cool thing is the more that those of us kind of who are more moderate on a lot of stuff and care about the whole life issues not just abortion uh are out there and visible and represented and being normal I feel like we're building this army slowly like we are building power because there are so many people who are like that's the reason I never joined any of these sides because they're all bonkers and so like we want to stand with you and and I think it's something where the pro-life movement for so long is so solemn. Like you go to the March for Life and it's like this procession, like a funeral procession. And I get it because we're talking about, you know, millions and millions of children that have lost their lives and women who have been wounded. And it is very sad. And we have to have reverence for that. But at the same time, like nobody said that we can never be funny because I can tell you the people who are never funny are the ones who are dressed up as grim reapers, screaming at women, calling them murderers in front of the clinic right now because they need to take a fucking chill pill. And I take so many chill pills because I don't want to be that person. Like people ask all the time, like with the cases we see of, you know, 11 year old girls who are raped and pregnant. And I mean like horrific, horrific stuff. Like how do we handle it? I binge the crap out of stand-up comedy. Like I have to have (laughs) that balance in my life. Like I have to make stupid memes. And here's the thing, the rule of comedy, right, is you don't punch down, you always punch up. So I'm not going to make fun of an abortion, uh, a post-abortive woman. I'm not going to make fun of a child that's died by abortion. But can I 
punch up and make fun of Cecile Richards or Ted Cruz or any of these people, like, hell yeah, I can. Absolutely, I can. And I think it's really important. And I'm, I'm glad we're seeing a younger generation that, you know, is making pro-life memes and all of these type stuff. Like they're, they're communicating in the language because nobody's going to want to join us if we're having a fucking cry party. Like, I don't care how much beer you have. I'm not coming to your cry party. I'm not going to come to it. But if you have a badass party that looks cool and you're speaking the language of justice and you're actually fighting for people and you're helping them in real practical ways, like I want to be on that side of history. I want to join that. And so I think the movement has to, I mean, we've needed a PR makeover for, for decades now, but I think we're slowly but surely moving there. Yeah. And this, this is why I find what you guys are doing to be not just fascinating, but relatable and real because on one hand, when we're talking about injustice, like it's a real evil, like it's not a funny thing it's not a light-hearted thing and yeah as you said there's a sense of reverence for that a sadness but to be human itself is i mean it's funny our the human condition is ridiculous because yeah like we can recognize something as evil we could recognize what is true what is good but we know how far we are from those ideals like we know how fucked up we are and how we make all kinds of mistakes and that's why just so much of the activism I see out there right now, it's hard to take seriously because it's like, why do you guys take yourself so seriously? You know, like you're not, yes, you're standing up for something important, but you're like, you're just you, you're just a regular person. Why do you think, like, who's going to relate to you if you're like never laughing, never have a good time, you know? So with you guys, it's like, yeah, you stand for what you believe is true, but you know, you guys are, you're yourselves. You're not trying to be something you're not, you know? So like, yeah, why, how can someone have a sense of humor though, knowing that yes, there are real injustices and that we do want to stand for what we know to be true? Well, I think as Letitia and I pointed out, it it takes childhood trauma, right? Mm -hmm. In order to get to like the fucked up level, of having a good sense of humor, something bad's got to happen to you. Uh, that's the one silver yeah. lining of it. And I think that's, as Letty's story tells us, like her humor's only gotten better over the years because of trauma <laughs> and it's dark and it's twisted. And and you'll find those people who give you permission to have it, you know? And I think you form these friendships and these alliances within a movement that is super serial all the time by finding the other people who have like actually lived life and are authentic. And I, I think that's why Letitia is one of my favorite people. Yeah, I agree. And I, and that's the thing, like, I remember like, this is the, like, Destiny's so ridiculous that it just makes me, it just, it makes my, it makes me so happy. Like, I remember one time when she, <laughs> what, what was the, sta- the statue or the thing? You were in Ted Cruz's office or something, and you did the uh, penis it joke. Was the Washington, it was the Washington Monument. <laughs> it's the literal best. I mean, it makes my, it makes my whole life, and it just makes my life I will easier. Make, hey, I will make do? anything into a dick. I, I made it into a dick in Ted Cruz's <laughs> office and took a picture, and then somebody Photoshopped Beto like Beto O'Rourke touching it, which that one was even better. I got unfollowed by so many pro-lifers for that. It was like, how dare you in our Holy Father's office do such a thing? But why, why would, who would not do that? Who would not see a giant phallic object and take a picture with it? Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that that is so true. You find people who give you permission. And, and the thing is, is that 
I, when I first became Catholic and became pro-life, I was super uber serious. Like I was, I was convinced that the Planned Parenthood in Houston was made in the same image as the Aztec human sacrifice temple. I mean, I was in it. I was in it for the long haul. I mean, I, it's only by the grace of God and Destiny's sense of humor that I am not one of those people right now. Um, But, but when Anthony died, like his suicide was so stupid. Like I remember just like pumping gas to go get my haircut for my son's funeral. And I just laughed hysterically at the gas pump, like a mad woman, because it's just so stupid. And I think that that is just the way everything is. And it's only gotten funnier and more ridiculous and more of a dumpster fire since March of 2017. Um, and, and I see, like, I mean, just watching anything Ted Cruz does is so ridiculous that it's funny and horrifying all at the same time. Oh, my God. But what about that video where the burger falls on his lip and he licks it off? <laughs> like, I, it makes me, I gag. I, I physically dry heave every time I see that video. <laughs> and yet that's super favorite. disrespectful because he's, he's pro-life king, whatever. I don't know, man. I think there's so much where in the pro-life movement, like, I don't know. And maybe it's like a bad bitches thing where we're like, we don't cry. That's weakness. So then like your coping mechanism becomes laugh to keep from crying because you want to keep your bad bitch street cred. I don't know if that's what it is, but I know that like Letitia and I were down, we did a big border drive and we were down in McGowan unloading this huge, like um, semi truck full of supplies. And Letty's like over on the side, smoking a cigarette. And I went over there and I'm like vaping with her and we're just talking shit. Like we're just talking mad shit. And it was like a beautiful time. And then we had these other friends who were with us and they were in the truck and the, the guy who owned the semi was a Hispanic guy. And so as soon as we got the truck cleaned out, he made this joke. He's like, all right, load him up. And like That's not an okay joke to make like, when you're at an immigrant shelter somewhere. But like, it's just shit like that where I'm like, he's one of us. He's on our team too. Like it is the people yeah. who can make the most inappropriate jokes. Like and that year that you were stuck in the Jersey Shore uh, March for Life, I was actually snowed in with a group of Irish people who were so like the most like just, but they don't even call it alcoholism there. It's just like, it's illegal Irish, to yes. be sober, I guess, in Ireland. Yeah, it's just being Irish. And I'm <laughs> Irish, and but not like born in Ireland Irish. And so I remember being snowed in for three days there. And we would walk through like mountains of snow to the CVS to get as many bottles of wine as we could get. And then we would come back and just day drink like around the clock because like nobody could go anywhere in DC for like three days. And uh, anytime you tried eating like a pretzel or any type of snack thing, the Irish would slap it out of your hand and they would be like, eating's cheating. And I'm like, we're all going to have a little <laughs> failure at the end of this trip. And we, we started doing something called pro-life scarfing where you take another pro-lifer and you put them around your body like you're wearing them like a scarf. Uh, it was a 3 a.m. <laughs> seven bottles of wine type uh, thing. And I just remember being like, these these are our people too. Like you just, you find them. The more absurd and ridiculous you are, like you put out that wavelength yeah. and then you slowly start to collect the people. And here's the thing, like 
I think the people that I know that I've found who are kind of like similar in this regard, um, people get frustrated at a lot of us because we're still making moves. We're still getting shit done and doors are being opened. And it's almost like they're angry at us because Mm -hmm. they're like, I am working. I have Excel spreadsheets. Like I've done things and I'm like, I've fucking rolled out of bed and I I don't know, man. I work really hard. You, You can't be in this movement and not sacrifice so much. Like you're literally thinking about dead children and harmed women and, you know, George Floyd and like all of these things, like the horrible, you know, fucking Stephen Miller, right? Like you're thinking about this shit 24 seven, but you have to have a balance in it. You have to be able to make fun of it because otherwise you will absolutely lose your mind. And I think that that's, that's where I'm just so glad that like, I've found, I've found my people in the movement. They do exist like any, young weirdo pro-lifers out there listening like just know that like you can find them they're out there and if you decide that you're just going to be weird and there's nothing you could do and you're always going to have a cry party for the love like put a Planned Parenthood button on or something and just do like (laughs) undercover for the other side like if you're going to be a weirdo like you can help us by pretending not to be one of us yeah (laughs) people aren't there aren't enough trolls in these movements like i just feel like trolling is so much more effective than being straightforward about whatever your cause is because then it's at first it's entertaining but it's also it's reverse psychology it makes you think you know but i don't know i mean i think what's really interesting what you're both saying is that in order to have a sense of humor about these grave things you have to come to terms with your own humanity and part of that is going through trauma which Obviously, some people go through more intensely than others, especially due to systemic issues, but all humans go through trauma. Like we all suffer. Um, Yeah. But why do you guys think it's very hard for a lot of people who are passionate about whatever cause to come to terms with the fact that they are a human, that they are not perfect exemplars of whatever their cause is? You know, why, why are we so afraid to have a sense of humor about these things? I think because people don't want to even acknowledge that they have trauma, like their non sense of humor is a running away from whatever it is that hurt them. Whereas destiny and I tend to run towards what it was that hurt us and try to make it laugh, you know, (laughs) and, and, and most people, especially, I mean, especially people who tend to, you know, come off as grifters, I see them as people who are trying to create someone other than who they are, because who they are is what was, is the person that was hurt and traumatized. So if they can just become anything else besides that person, then they don't have to deal with it. They don't have to acknowledge that it happened and they don't have to feel the pain of that trauma. And the one thing that um, I've always loved about Destiny is that she feels, not only does she feel her feelings, but she feels them publicly. (laughs) And if she's wrong, she apologizes humbly and then moves on. And And so for years and years that we've been friends, I've watched her do this. And then I just started copying her. 
because it's like she just moves on and then every once in a while we'll get caught up like in something like a like if we're caught up in a strand of bob wire but it's like this you know fucked up thing and we'll talk it out together and then and then it's easier to walk away from it because I can at least talk to Destiny and I don't have to censor myself um, and I don't have to uh, worry about her thinking some type of way about me we can just talk it out I can say whatever it is I have to say and then I can leave it and so many people don't have that they live a censored life they censor from they censor themselves from themselves um, and then it creates this entire fake persona. And I think social media makes it even worse because then you box yourself into this persona and now you're stuck here and now you're voting for Trump. And now you're like, you know, at the insurrection and, and then, and then you're like, you're just going further and further in and you can't get out because now you've cemented yourself in this persona. Mm-hmm. And and Destiny and I, I feel I don't know about Destiny, but I personally end up blowing up my persona. Like anytime I even get near doing that and creating some caricature of myself, I just blow it up because it's I don't I don't know why I it's like a it's, weird it's form of self destruction. But it's yeah, I was gonna say it's too much to live up to, and so I yes. feel pity for those people that do that have this. Yeah you know, keeping up appearances mentality because they're never able to live authentically. And you're totally right, yeah. buddy. I'd never thought about that, that you can go zero to insurrection real freaking fast. And so like, get off that, that <laughs> path. Um, it's something where also, I think like the more, okay. Go ahead. Am I back? Sorry, you're gonna have to edit that part out because I didn't turn on my do not disturb. Um, The more that we, uh, I think, acknowledge our own issues and trauma that we've been through because we feel so alone, like we're the only person who's, who's experienced this particular thing. And it's the power of like the Me Too movement, right? Is that when you come out and say this happened to me. And so I am absolutely like an oversharer. Like I'm surprised I haven't described my labia in detail on Facebook yet. Um, I tell people way too much of my show all the time, but whether it's struggling with alcohol or experiencing sexual assault or trauma from my childhood, like the more that I talk about these things, the more other people come out and say, I went through that too. Oh my gosh. Like, how did you get beyond it and half the time I'm like I'm like two steps ahead of you beyond it like I don't know but I do know that the more we talk about it and process it like the more we're able to get to this healthy place and I I find such a sense of community um by having that vulnerability and being able to talk to other people about it and finding out that I'm not a one that other people have experienced the same stuff too and they're still standing. Like, like we are going to get through it together. And I think it is that village mentality that we've gotten so far away from here in America because of late stage capitalism and this individualistic type thinking where it's like, you have to do everything on your own. You have to be a self-made person. You have to be busy all the time. You have to be, you know, and nobody's actually living. And the more we give people permission to like, you're flawed, you're broken, you're harmed. You've probably harmed other people. Like, but let's, let's process this together. Like it does. Letitia could not say anything to me on a phone call that I'd be like, how dare you? You're canceled. <laughs> like It's just, it's never going to happen. And, and I think yeah. like the joy that you get from those type of friendships, it does give us the 
courage to keep going as kind of reluctant leaders in this thing where it's like, none of us want to be doing this. Like, I think both of us are like, can we, can we just be pro-choice? We both fit in so much better on that side, by the way. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, there's this damn human dignity shit that we keep having to stick to. And so, yeah, you have to make friends where you can in this movement. Yeah. And yeah. And, and I also feel, I feel like there's a choice. So I feel like there's this weird choice. Like you can go one way and create a sense of community and a sense of like people praising you. And that comes off as support and some type of like community, but really it's synthetic because who they're praising and who they're congratulating isn't, isn't real because you haven't given them any of your real self. And then there's the stuff that Destiny and I do, which we're so vulnerable and we give so much of ourselves that sometimes we have to kind of chill out on that because then I burn myself out personally, but it's authentic. Like when people say, you know, anything nice about me, they're actually saying it about me and not this not this made up person from Instagram, you know, they're not like, Oh, your house is so beautiful. And it's like just the one little area where you can see in this photograph that's beautiful and the rest is trash. It's like the whole thing is trash. So no one, first of all, says that, but you know, like it's, you have a choice of either having an authentic community of people who know you and care about you as you truly are, or you can create this synthetic version of yourself. And then it feels like community, but you don't have to give anything of yourself. There's no actual relationship there because you're not giving anything of yourself and they're not seeing you relationship to me truly does take people being able to see you as you are. Um, and that's, again, why Destiny and I are such good friends and like the kind of friends that we don't talk to much and then we'll send each other like side eye emojis when we see one thing on the internet and we both know exactly what we're talking about and the vast, you know, contents of the World Wide Web. I'll send her a side eye and she knows exactly what I'm talking about and then we'll go another however long without talking to each other but that connection's there to where like she said, I know I can show up as myself and tell her anything. And the same goes back for her. And we, neither one of us have ever, I don't, there's nothing Destiny could say to me that would shock me. <laughs> it would make me laugh, but not shock me. And, and I think that the choice to be authentic and real and have that community and lead that community of people who truly do know you is much more beneficial, even if it pays a lot less it's much more beneficial in the long run. Yeah, and speaking of social media, you guys are very active on the web. And I have to say, I'm very entertained <laughs> by what I see. Cause like one minute, like you'll post something like a very real serious critique of some issue that you see going on in society. But then the next minute, like you're cracking a joke, or you're talking about something at home. Um, <laughs> it's like, you're not, you're not following the script of what an activist is supposed to post, you know, like you're not filtering, but that's what makes you guys so appealing because you're not putting on this role. Cause at the end of the day, like, yes, it looks more presentable to play this character, but no one really wants to be friends with a character. Like sure. We may want to follow you on the internet, but no one wants to, I don't know. Like, I, I don't really have the time to be friends with someone who's putting on a show. Like, I want someone who's going to be real. 
but at the same time, I don't know, like, do you guys, what do we make of social media? Because there is such an incentive to be fake or to put up some kind of front. How do, I don't know, how do you guys approach that when you're posting something on the internet? I'm just too lazy to care. I just, if I'm listening to, you know, Rage Against the Machine and it's, you know, making me happy, then I'm sharing that I'm listening to Rage Against the Machine. Like, or if I'm listening to, I don't listen to Christian music anymore because I just can't. But if I'm listening to a Seether song and it makes me think of Anthony, or if I'm listening to Johnny Cash or, you know, I mean, I go from Metallica to Nirvana to Johnny Cash to Amy Winehouse, like whatever it is that I'm doing, or I'm, I'm feeding my bunnies or taking in a wormy dog or whatever. That's my life. You know, I feel as if for me personally, there's plenty of curated Catholics on Instagram. I want to just be a normal person. I say, fuck, I fuck up. I work in a cubicle and hate my life. It's sucks my soul right out of my body every day when I show up at eight in the morning. And I also, you know, struggle to find a way to use my gift of writing and storytelling. And that's just real life. I I think that when I was looking at Instagram or Facebook as a person looking for something to help me in my life, I didn't find it. What I found was a curated version of someone else's life that I was never gonna live because I am a country girl who thinks that poor people should eat and I don't believe in borders or the ethical ownership of private land but I also will sit down with a group of rednecks in my small town and drink a beer and talk about deer season and there's nothing out there that's like that because people have made like I said like created this you know, us versus them kind of thing. And um, I'm just too lazy to keep up with that. Like I'm too lazy to keep up with the brand. I don't have a brand because I, I cannot remember what day it is, much less um, what time the algorithm is going to show my reel. And that's another thing, like I'm not doing a reel to talk about racism or serious things. And you see me dancing and doing some stupid hand movements to be like, read these words over my head about this really super serious thing. I, I just, I'm too lazy. That's the bottom line for me. <laughs> yeah, I tend to, I tend to agree. Cause I think we've all experienced that where it's like you are going through and you're looking at the very curated stuff. And, and then you get to the point where you're like, I have to Gandhi this shit, right? Like I have to be the change. I have to be the one who puts it all out there and talks about my struggles and doesn't have the highlight reel because you know that other people out there have that same desire in their heart that like, where are the real people? Like where are the real people I can connect with? And I go back and forth on this all the time because I remember someone telling me early on that um, new wave feminist like had a cult of personality surrounding it. And I, I think they meant it as a compliment, but I was like, no dude, like if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, like new wave feminist has to keep going. And so um, I've, what I've tried to do as a cult leader um, myself is make sure that there's a lot of mini cults, right? So like putting my board members out there and like without their permission ever, by the way, like they'll just say something hilarious in a Marco Polo and I screen record it. And then I tag them in it 20 minutes later. And they're like, what the fuck? Seriously, why would you do that? Um, <laughs> but like, I want there to be other people that, that people see. And that's new wave feminists. Like my favorite 
thing in the world is when I get recognized on the street, uh, not as destiny. Like the person has no clue what my name is and they go, are you new wave feminist? And I'm like, hell yes. Like that is a perfect level. Cause that means, you know, the message, you know what we're talking about, but you don't give two shits about me personally, which is like, please yeah. don't like, again, I have fucked my way up into every single successful thing that's ever happened to me, starting with a teen pregnancy. So like literally mine is a story of like, here's how I felt ass backwards into what I'm doing. Like new wave feminist was a MySpace page and the kids that follow us have to ask their parents what that is because they don't even know and I didn't even like I don't even know what year we started because this was never supposed to be a thing and it accidentally became a thing and I'm like oh shit people are giving me money and I'm supposed to do stuff now and we joke all the time anytime new wave feminist gets down to like $300 in our bank account we're like sweet we're done feministing and then some asshole will give us a check for $10,000 and we're like fuck, I guess we have to feminist more. And it, it is just very much this thing where it's like, uh, please cancel me. I have had, I've been canceled. I've been pro-life canceled because I voted for Beto O'Rourke. Um, I was Catholic canceled because I called this saint horny and it was a whole thing. Um, I've definitely been Republican canceled. And here's the thing, as long as I still have Wi-Fi and I still keep putting my words and thoughts on the internet, like it turns out canceling like doesn't really stick that much because you yeah. just, you end up honing in this crowd of people that actually like the bullshit you're putting out there. And that part has been pretty cool. But I think the the Gen Z kids and then and then also the boomers who they're all trying to put together this very manicured thing because they're terrified that like somebody will think they're not perfect. And I don't know. I think yeah. Lady and I are like the examples of trial and error on that, that like, just, just keep doing it. You're going to find your group of weirdos amongst, you know, all the regular, you know, ivory tower pearl and cardigan wearing people and you're going to be so much happier when when you find your fellow band of fuck-ups yeah I agree I yeah I and it's it's just less time consuming (laughs) like I don't have to I don't know I don't have to think about like the aesthetics of my Instagram feed I just put whatever the hell is going on on there and that's a lot less time consuming Yes. So the takeaway is be be lazy and be a troll. So we need more laziness and we need more trolls in the movement. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, we keep going back to this point that like laziness gets it done. That's the only way. I think so. (laughs) I think Letty, didn't you say this when we did the interview last time? You said something like your biggest weakness is the temptation to sit on your couch and watch Netflix. And I like that's such an yeah. important thing to give into, though, if you want to actually do yeah, and sometimes just to sit there and do nothing. And that's why it's it's insane to me, like when I don't know, like when I see motivated people who are like Rachel Hollis, for instance, like this chick had an entire plan and she like checked all the boxes of her plan and now she's a millionaire. And I'm just like, how, how do you do that? Because I can't check any boxes off my list. It just happens to me. But that means my life is chaos constantly because I want to sit on the couch and God keeps giving me things to do. And then bringing people saying, Hey, yeah, let's do this. Like, let's, let's write a book. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't really mean I wanted to actually write a book. I just wanted to be on Instagram saying I wanted to write a book. And now I actually have to write one. And really, I just want to watch Virgin River, like, (laughs) you know, or like, you know, 
I don't know. I, I, I don't want to do anything. I really just don't. But I want to sound like I want to do stuff so people think I'm really cool, but I really don't want to do any of it. I want to just lay in bed and stare at the ceiling. And yet then God gives me jobs so that I can get health insurance. And I don't know. It's just weird. But, but then, yeah, I do live in chaos. And everyone's like, your life is insane. Yes, because I want to sit on the couch. And that just doesn't happen for me. Yeah, but Virgin <laughs> River is much more important than like <laughs> saving babies or, you know, gender and racial equality, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. And now, like, I, I think that's, you know, everybody has. Go ahead, Destiny. <laughs> I was just saying. can you guys hear me we cut out uh yeah i can hear you can you hear me yeah okay i think my engine just cut out for a second okay um anyway no so the last thing i wanted to bring up is that you are both texans and you're both there <laughs> now right yeah okay so i'm gonna say something controversial since we're in the spirit of not being perfect and politically correct um can you guys convince me that there are parts of the country that have culture outside of the northeast because i don't believe it at all is there well i mean texas texas is culture like we don't have a culture we are we are culture, culture. <laughs> yeah because i mean i'm i have to acknowledge that i'm uh northeastern elitist and like it's basically it's new york new jersey that are america and then there's the other parts that don't count but people always get pissed off at me for speaking the truth but then they try to like convince me otherwise <laughs> i've been to texas once i'll tell I, you what happened. yeah destiny yeah. i was gonna say first of all just my condolences like yeah. that's so yeah, sad for you like my heart's <laughs> breaking for you because <laughs> like the fucking Alamo and we're our own republic we're the ones who can fly our flag at the same level my my stepdad's from California and he's always like I mean I I grew up in California like what do you people have to be proud of like what are you thinking I have a huge Texas tattoo on my forearm like that's how much I'm like Texas till the end yeah um and so I I have that same pity for you my friend so at least it's very mutual uh I feel sad for anybody who could not secede and have a state big enough to become their own country. I feel sad for people who can drive for an hour and not be in their state. Like what type of, do you even have a yeah. state? I can drive for 12 hours and be <laughs> in my state. So suck it, New York, New Jersey. Wow. And also, and also like, this is another thing. Like there's no explaining the culture that is Texas to someone who wasn't born and raised here. Like people try, people try all the time. They're like, I got here as fast as I can. And it's like, you didn't get here fast enough. Like if you didn't come out of your mother's womb in this state, you don't get it. Bill, <laughs> my first introduction to Texas was SpongeBob and Sandy because they were always shooting <laughs> on Sandy being a Texan. So I was just like a bandwagon. Anytime I meet someone from Texas, I just like make Sandy Cheeks references. 
But Sandy I'm, is by far the coolest character on that show. Is she uh-huh. a true Texan or is she like? So again, I'm very confused. Like I, words are coming out of your mouth. I'm not understanding them. She's, she's amazing. She breathes underwater from an astronaut. I mean, just come on. She's, she's the best one. My only, I think I only have one. I went to Texas once. What I remember, so I got there. I went to Texas where, once? What where did you go in Texas, though? First it of all, was... we need to preface it because people all the time say, oh, I went to Houston. First of all, that's the armpit of Texas. And now I'll get hate mail from Houstonians. But like, and that's where Bestie, this is when Bestie and I get into a Texas argument because she loves <laughs> Dallas and I love Houston. <laughs> Dallas is the armpit of Texas. I can't tell the difference. No, I think it was Houston. Yeah, I think it was was Houston. I got there. I went for a wedding. And the first thing that was crazy was the heat. Because the kind of heat there is like different from Jersey, New York heat. But then we, before the wedding, we were trying to find a place to eat. And I was looking for a bougie cafe to go to because I can't tolerate anything less than that. But all they had was the Whole Foods. (laughs) So I settled for the Whole Foods coffee and it wasn't even good. And then my friend needed to go get a new weave for the wedding. So we went to this like mega hair store and what I loved was that they had like all these hair accessories, like clip and stuff with Bible verses and like crosses and Jesus stuff. <laughs> I would get one if Which I had Which is one. wild because that's Houston. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty, you know, Houston's pretty, I don't know. Secular, maybe maybe but... it was a while ago. I was going to say Houston's yeah. gotten more gentrified. It's still the Bible Belt. The heat, yeah, yeah. It's, it's crappy and the humidity is crappy. But like, I feel like Jersey, you catch an STD from the heat there. Like it's floating through the air versus like Houston because we have our good Christian Christian legs closed. Like it's a very different culture down here. Uh, you don't have to get a, a STD screening when you leave at, at DFW or whatever the That's Houston weird. airport is. I don't go there. I avoid Houston like the plague. So I wouldn't even know the airport there. <laughs> Letty, have you been to New York and or New Jersey? Yeah, I love New York. I love it so much, but it's I definitely love it to visit and then I come back. But my but my husband is such a redneck that he breaks out in hives as soon as we land in New York. <laughs> yeah, New Yorkers won't it. let Jersey people like I grew up in Jersey, but I went to college in Manhattan. So I always put on like internet profiles nj slash ny and new yorkers shit all over me because they're like no stay in jersey you're not really one of us don't yeah you should just put like bougie bougie trash and then they'll know like okay he goes across got it it's my identity category um (laughs) so okay so we have to wrap up but what are some last thoughts you want to leave people with people who care about important social issues who are scandalized by injustice. How can we care about these things while still being real, still being crazy fucked up humans? What advice would you give us? My, my only advice is just be, I mean, honestly, seriously, just be yourself. Because the more, it's a, it's an act of justice to show up as your authentic self, not this 
bullshit authenticity, but like actually yourself with your flaws and everything. Because when you're spending time curating a persona on social media to be an activist, you're taking away time that you could be fighting for someone else's rights. That all of that stuff takes energy and time. And your energy and your time should be spent, one, becoming the exactly just Destiny said, becoming the change you want to see in the world and making space for the least vulnerable among us. And if you're spending time making it about yourself and trying to show off who you are and curating a persona so you can make all this money or get all these followers or whatever, you're taking space away from people who can't afford that space taken from them. So to me, it's always about giving space, not taking space. Um, and the best way to do that is just to be lazy and want to watch Netflix on the couch. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's solid. I'm still wrapping my head around the fact that you just put that Gandhi quote and said, like Destiny said. So it feels like that Michael Scott thing where he like quotes Dirk Nowitzki or whoever he quotes uh, the hockey player. And then it's like Michael Scott, because he said the quote. Um, so please make that my quote, put it on mugs and mouse pads from now on. I said that, I said that once in a podcast. Um, yeah, I think that that's totally true. And being authentic, having all your flaws out there, letting it hang out there, because I can tell you at the end of the day, if there is a terrified 15 year old girl who that second line just showed up on her pregnancy test and she's sent to you for help and you look like you just stepped out of a sorority house and you're completely unrelatable yeah. and she can't talk to you like she's not going to talk to you she's not going to talk to you like they need to see us being real authentic people because we're in a real authentic battle and we're talking about people's struggles and the injustice they're facing in the world and they need to know that we have some grit and and we can at least relate to them on some level level and have that empathy for them i think yeah not being weird and being real is kind of all it takes and and watching a shit ton of netflix because self-care is just important you guys self-care mm -hmm. so okay. Before we go, what plugs do we want to make? What social media, websites, whatever? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> this is so, like, exactly. But he hasn't set up whatever social media yet. <laughs> Just Google me or whatever. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to write a whole blog post with, like, scandalous lies about you, and I'm going to put your name in it 82 <laughs> times. So that's, like, oh, the nice. top in the search engine. Yeah, um, the best thing ever. A great marketing technique. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one hundred percent what it is. Plug your plug your speakers thing. You're supposed to be professional. Come oh yeah, on, it's CatholicSpeakersOfColor.com. It. CatholicSpeakersOfColor.com. Hire all those speakers. <laughs> and new wave feminist. Is it just because you have wave a website? Feminist? Somebody made it. No, there's actually more than one. Um, I know that's surprising to you, but yeah, just new wave feminists, plural, with the S on the end, uh, on all the things. We just got a TikTok. I made our first TikTok oh, wow. today. TikTok is trash. I've oh, avoided it yeah, like a freaking plague. But then they started, they started showing up on Instagram and Facebook. I'm like, some of this shit is kind of funny. All right, we'll do it. So um, <laughs> we have the, the Instagram and the Facebook we swear like sailors, so maybe don't send it to your grandma or anything, but um, yeah, and then just remember the Alamo. I think that's all I've got.
that's my only plugs. <laughs> We're forgetting yeah. the Alamo Destiny. I still don't remember what that is. Stop forgetting the Alamo. It's the injustice of our time is forgetting forgetting the Alamo. So remember the Alamo <laughs> and New Wave feminists and Catholic speakers of color. That's all we need to know. Perfect. That's it. And Texas forever. Texas forever. Wherever that forever. is. Um, okay. Yes. So Destiny and Letitia, thank you for joining us. And we hope everyone has been sufficiently scandalized. Thank you.